0: Everybody. Hello again and welcome back to another episode of The Your Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Make some noise, clap it up, get excited wherever you work, because like always, we have a jam-packed episode for you today to be able to uh, entertain and be informed as we have some major news happening and major events happening in the world of boxing as Anthony Joshua returns to the ring against Robert Alanias and finished the fight in phenomenal knockout fashion. Uh, we're gonna evaluate his return whether or not he's ready for deontay wilder to come on later this year as well as the absolute mexican war that was emmanuel Navarati versus oscar valdez for the wbo super featherweight title in a clash that lived up to all the expectations that i had for it and to a degree might even go a little further beyond and we're going to talk about that fight all right here on this show so before we even start leave a like on the video comment your thoughts and opinions subscribe to the channel and share the video and share the channel with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together because i can't do this without you and i love doing this for you the people absolutely oh we're almost at 500 subscribers if we get to 500 we can get to a thousand Oh, we can just steps on steps on steps building up this channel and building up this brand oh yeah And so I can make some money, some moolah, for you lot, so (laughs) so that we can make this show better and better for you, the viewing and listening public. So, like we said, we're on all podcasting platforms, and without further ado, let's jump right into it. You know what time it is. It's a boxing episode, so it's time to step into the ring. That's right. Ring the bell. Let's get it started. Round one of this show. Has to be Anthony Joshua in the return of Richard Robert Lanius. Like I had stated previously, Joshua, looking into this fight, we as the viewing public, I as the viewing public, and, you know, analysts that I see myself as, was looking to see whether or not AJ was going to actually evolve. One of the concerns we had been having about Anthony Joshua for a number of years was the fact that ever since his loss to Andrew Weeds, he did not look The same. Didn't look the same at all. It changed the style, changed coaches, added new. Assets to his game, but can never seem to really put it all together. And in his own words, he was caught between styles to a degree, as well as his mental confidence and mental ability to fight like he normally used to fight, fight like the old AJ that we all knew and loved as a knockout savant and was seen as one of the three best heavyweights in the world, now relegated to the fourth best heavyweight in the world, and potentially by a very long shot in some people's eyes. I still think he's right there, but even Still, that is neither here nor there. Point is, he's dropped off, he's fell off, and he's been looking for the comeback trail to the heavyweight title. Already a two-time unified heavyweight champion, now looking to be a three-time champion and a one-time undisputed champion come potentially next year. That's what his goal is. And if that fight, that super event in Saudi Arabia is going to take place with Usyk and Fury fighting for the Undisputed title. And then Joshua and Wilder fighting on essentially the co-main event for the number one contender spot for said winner of the Undisputed championship. What is it that we were going to see from AJ in this fight to show us he's got a legitimate shot at getting past Wilder to actively get back into number one contendership for the Undisputed Championship. That's what this whole fight was relegated around. Where is Anthony Joshua now? And I can definitely say Anthony Joshua is somewhere. (laughs) That's that's the best thing I can say about this. I'll put it very plainly. Anthony Joshua is in a better spot than he was since the Jermaine Franklin fight. Absolutely. But is he better Is he better to the point that I can see confidently say stuff's going to be different versus Deontay Wilder if and when they do fight later on this year? No, I really can't. No, that's harsh to say. Absolutely. But it's the truth. And I will tell you what, and we'll do that by evaluating the fight in and of itself. Going through the fight, you got to see Anthony Joshua. Again, on my cards, he won every single round before knocking out Robert Helanius in absolute fantastic fashion. Moi, chef's kiss of a knockout that absolutely put Helanius down and out, similar to how Deontay Wilder knocked out Robert Helanius. Absolutely. It was a beauty of a setup. A jab to the body, or excuse me, was it It was either a jab to the body or a jab to the head? No, yeah, it was a jab to the body set up to set up the big straight right of Joshua when Robert and Laney got on the ropes, caught him clean on the chin, knocked him down one punch, hit a quitter KO. Phenomenal fashion. We got to see Joshua celebrate, do an old DX situation, all that stuff. I'm not going to do the talk because, you know, we're trying to get some ad revenue on this show, (laughs) trying to keep it clean. Try to keep it clean so that potential sponsors don't want to come in on here. Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, once that happens, are oh, we going to go off the wall, in the words of Michael Jackson. But... <laughs> oh, boy, but... in regardless of which, with Anthony Joshua having that knockout, how did he set it up? Well, he set it up by using the jab all night long, legitimately was poised, as we had seen Joshua return into after the Andrew fight, especially in the second return. And ever since then, we've seen him use his jab a lot more. We've seen him be more judicial with it, and he kept that same pace in this fight. However, one of the concerns that I had with Anthony Joshua was the fact that he was not confident winning threw punches. That was the biggest thing. Outside of his jab, because the jab is phenomenal, sure. I love his jab. Outside of his jab, when it came to committing to any other type of punch, he was always tentative. There was something, even in both of the Usyk fights, even in the second Usyk fight, when he had performed even better and had done things that I was like, hey, he can build from this. There was still a, a, a haze over Anthony Joshua that had me feeling like he kept on holding back. Constantly, I believe I've talked about this before, constantly Joshua feels like he is afraid to fully let go of the trigger, fully commit to the power that he has to put somebody in danger, consistently worried about getting caught on the chin, getting caught on the temple, being knocked out or being put in trouble like he was against Andy Ruiz. And ever since that fight, that fear has drained away and ripped away The One of the biggest assets of Joshua's game, which was being able to, one, to be a phenomenal finisher, and two, being so confident in his ability, coupled with his actual boxing talent, that he could be somebody that could put anybody in danger at any point in time. Having the ability to control the fight, absolutely. And once he gets momentum, He's able to continue to build and build and build until he ends up opening the can and unloading on opponents with 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 which excuse me with what used to be seen as the be- one of the best finishing arsenals that boxing had today irregardless of division again 21 and 0 knockout record was phenomenal he is still the second hardest hitting heavyweight in boxing right now behind Deontay Wilder that is an absolute fact but that power wasn't able to be put in play when he was essentially putting himself inside of a box shelling himself from being able to actively crack out legitimate big strong dangerous punches without concern for getting clocked in return now in this fight we got to see that Joshua To a degree has gotten over it. Thankfully, he is actively, in fact, clapping up for him because now we're starting to see a little better from Joshua. He was in this fight, the jab, the hook, the straight, everything looked deliberate, everything looked primed, everything looked committal, everything looked sharp, and in a a great way, everything looked dangerous. That's the biggest thing. Everything looked dangerous. When he threw a hook, He threw it with bad intentions. When he threw the straight off the jab, he threw it with very bad intentions. Every punch that I saw in this fight, when he fully committed to it, it looked dangerous, which is something that lacked from Anthony Joshua. We knew he had speed. We knew he's one of the quicker heavyweights, especially with with his hands in the division today. We knew he's one of the most athletic heavyweights in the division today. But his willingness to not fully commit to the punches took away from the athleticism, took away from the skill set that we know he's able to garner against opponents. However, against Robert is now we got to see punches sharp, punches crisp, punches look dangerous, punches look deliberate, punches look like they are not hindered. There is no second guessing now when it comes to Anthony Joshua, when he fully decides that he wants to hurt you. Now he's actively putting full force into his big right straight, into his hooks, both left and right. I don't believe he threw an uppercut in the fight, but if he did throw an uppercut, it would have that same level of danger, which is something that Joshua liked, which is great. And this is credit to Derrick James, who, again, regardless, take away the Errol Spence absolute shellacking on the part of of Terrence Crawford. And and the credit to Bomac and his team for absolutely doing a phenomenal job with that fight. We've already covered it. But Derek James, working with Anthony Joshua, actively seems like he was able to get Joshua out of that reclusiveness and into the confidence that he used to have when he was on top of the world as, at one point in time, the best heavyweight in all the land. That was the truth. That's where he used to be. Now his mindset seems to be back on track with that, now, with that being said, there's still some work that needs to be done. But in terms of, okay, we can clearly see that, there's, that there is a more willing and a more bashful and a more committal attitude by Anthony Joshua to go out and get opponents. It is there. It may not be to the degree that it needs to be, that I would like it to be, but it is there which is a great stepping stone, which is far beyond what it used to be, which was non-existent, nothing at all. And on top of that, with Derrick James being his trainer, now Anthony Joshua is turning to a more multifaceted fighter, reason being he can now fight defensively both going forwards and back, backwards, and combine it with this offensive array. Again, when, when Robert Helanius was throwing at Joshua, Joshua wasn't just sitting back and trying to use his length and reach and, and distance management just get out the way of punches, then have to reset and go back onto the offensive end. No, he was moving forward, slipping punches, manipulating his block, and actively adapting as he was still on the attack, combining defensive um, uh, preparedness and defensive awareness with offensive intentions, something that with him as a boxer, It's very advantageous, especially with his athletic ability. So having to see that no longer is it just one side or the other, because if you watch uh, Joshua in the past, it used to be Joshua. If he was offensive, he was offensive all out. But when he was offensive, he lacked some of the defensive ability necessary. And I'm not saying he would get touched left, right, and center. He was still responsible, but it wasn't seamless. And because it wasn't seamless, he had to turn it on and turn it off. And when the process of turning it on, he would get hit more often than we would like to. Hence, what led to him getting dropped multiple times and losing the title to Andy Ruiz. And inevitably, getting the confidence loss that we now see today, at least before this fight. But when he was on the defensive end as well, on the flip side of that coin, he was fully defensive and would have great defensive ability, but then wouldn't be able to have the offensive um, uh, output to be able to take advantage of the holes opened up by his defensive awareness. It would be essentially a split screen. You would see two sides of a fighter but they wouldn't blend together it would be completely separate and again turn it on turn it off when necessary it's not bad that's just what he was but now he's been able to meld that now he's been able to put both of those things together in a more seamless fashion which allowed for him to use his jab to get on the inside and to use his jab to set up the big straight right oh by the way that big straight right that i was talking about he was constantly vying to make sure that would land. And when he did throw it, like I said previously, he would throw with full force, but the ability now to set up his power punches is back. He would always, again, the boxing ability combined with the power is now being applied by a boxer that, again, used to be a master at being able to set up devastating shots, but got away from it because of confidence. Now we're seeing that back in full force. still. With all of that being said, still had the air of being patient, methodical, and being able to, okay, not get too outside of himself to lose the fundamentals that he has. He has turned into legitimately a better boxer because now it's no longer one side of the corner or the other. He's able to blend his, all of his talents together in a more seamless and more effective way. Yes, we know Robert Hernandez isn't the best of heavyweights. We understand that. We get it. He's not on the totem pole, the highest of highs when it comes to heavyweights. But he was still a legitimate threat. He still had power. He still had length. He was still he was he was bigger than Anthony Joshua, and he had the power to legitimately, if he does land, put Joshua in serious danger coupled with the fact that if he does get going because he's a fighter that takes a little longer to get his motor running, once he gets that motor running legitimately, now you get to see he is really a, 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 a deceptive, multi-dimensional threat, at least offensively. Defensively, no, but offensively, okay, the hand speed coupled with the combination punch coupled with the power, you don't just got to worry about one thing. If he gets going, he can put some people in some serious danger. That's the legitimate truth. We just don't let what Wilder did to him uh, disparage what his actual talent was. And with that talent, this was a good barometer for what Joshua we were going to see. And now we get to see a Joshua that, hey, looks like things are coming together. With that being said, however, it's still not enough. In my estimation, for Wilder. Reason being it's because of the fact that while the confidence is still there, it's still not fully there. It's not. It's just not. You remember against Frank Martin, when he was able to land that big straight right on Frank Martin twice to knock him down and inevitably knock him out and finish the fight, how confident he was in the ring, that poise, that just, hey, I own everything, that type of attitude, and that type of, oh, it was, it was easy for him. It was just second nature, up, there's opening, boom, let's go. It's His confidence still isn't fully back to that level yet. It's not. Yeah, we see it with him, again, doing the DX talk, going outside in the crowd, thanking everybody, giving high fives to people, ch- chopping up with Conor McGregor, even though it seemed like he didn't really want anything to do with the brother at that point in time. But even still, the confidence is back, but it's not back fully. It's not back fully to the Anthony Joshua that we were all clamoring for when we wanted to see the Wilder fight uh, years ago before the loss to Andy Ruiz. It's not there yet. The fight's still big, but him as a fighter confidence-wise isn't there yet. And if you lack any confidence to Deontay Wilder, it's going to be incredibly detrimental for you. On top of that, he was still getting pieced up by now, when I say pieced up, I'm not saying he was getting, oh, just combo to kingdom come. No. Again, defensively, defensively, he was great while moving forward. It was good. But he was still getting caught. He was still getting hit. And his nose and face did get bloodied up. So it wasn't just an absolute immaculate performance. No, it was better. It was good in terms of seeing everything come together. And under Derrick James, we're seeing him evolve before our eyes, which I love, but even still, he was getting caught. He was getting popped, and he was and did get cut and bloody. On top of that, when he got, there was a shot that Rob Helanius landed that was really clean. I mean really clean, right through the guard when Joshua came up or when Joshua was moving forward, trying to get on the attack. And Helanius caught him, I think it was with a big right, and it stopped Joshua in his tracks and we saw Joshua go back to the reclusive tentative self that we have been clamoring for him to get out of we still saw it so again it hasn't fully left and if he gets caught he will rec- he will um he will shrink back into that mindset that he gets into a reclusive state now he again, all confidence is gone again. Now he's incredibly tentative. Now he's only throwing jabs. Now he's hesitant to come forward. Now he's scared of what's going to come back at him. It's still there because it still showed up in this fight with Robert Alenius. Again, like I said, Robert Alenius isn't a brother that to, should be taken lightly, even though he's not the cream of the crop in terms of heavyweight division. Still, if he lands on you, it's going to hurt. And he has the reach to get to you from deceptively long ranges. How was Joshua going to react to that? And what we saw, it still got to him. It still made him, to a degree, hold tentativeness in him. And as much as I've talked about him in terms of the good that we saw from Joshua in this fight, it is still, the tentativeness of Joshua is still present, it is still visible, it is still there, and it's still an issue that while he's overcoming it, he hasn't fully gotten out of it. He hasn't fully freed himself from that. he hasn't fully gotten himself out of holding back the trigger. He's still willing to pull the trigger now in which i at least the minimum what I was asking for at least be willing to pull it when he got somebody in trouble, which he was able to do when he backed up Robert Lane to the ropes and then wasn't afraid to throw the jab and then throw the the right straight with all of his power behind it. And did that multiple times in the fight. It's still great to see, but he still has that tentative nature still ingrained in him that he hasn't yet gotten out of. You see, Teddy Atlas was saying it best on 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 the night. The tentativeness of Joshua is still there. Some people were just calling it a a a, a, a oh he's just being cerebral. He was just out thinking. No, he wasn't out thinking. Alanis. Even though yes, he was thinking in the ring, that that tentativeness and that fear of getting caught was still there. And when he did get caught, finally we saw it all load back on him for a moment, all of it. Stopped dead in his tracks, put his guard up, didn't even st- stop moving his head anymore, and was very slow to start moving forward again inside the ring. That's the that is the issue. That Joshua still hasn't gotten over. That's the monkey he hasn't gotten off his back. That's the weight. That's the chip on his shoulder. That is the main problem with Joshua that while he's fighting through, he has not gotten over. And if he does not get over it, he will lose to Deontay Wilder. It's just the truth. And based on this performance, no, he's not ready for Joshua yet, in my opinion. Yes, he can, he, can he. Knock out Wilder. Absolutely, he can. He's got the power to do it. If Fury was able to do it, and he was able to do it, he had to get to 280 to be able to get 270 and then 280 in the next fight to be able to knock out Deontay Wilder. Joshua has more power than Fury. Oh, excuse me. Yes, you know, yeah, I said that right. Joshua has more power than Fury. Jackson can definitely knock out Deontay Wilder. Absolutely he can. is more athletic, so he can be able to take advantage of the weaknesses in Deontay Wilder's game. Absolutely, just like Fury did. Absolutely. The issue is confidence. Of course, yes, we already know. His chin is suspect. If Wilder catches him clean, it's over. It's done. It's going to be... And that, and that's it. It's going to be a bomb. It's going to be over. Done. If Joshua gets caught clean by that right hand at any point in time, the fight's going to be over. Immediately. 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 But the problem is with everything that Joshua can do against Wilder, he can not outbox him because he is a better boxer. He's got the ability to knock him out. He's athletic enough to be able to Combat Wilder's own athleticism. He's got enough you know, strength and mass on him to do the same tactics that Fury did on Wilder. Because that is a gameplay that actually works. It's dangerous, but it works. The issue is: if you are not confident enough to be able to do said things, you have no shot against Wilder. See, here's the thing about Wilder that many people may not understand the absolute confidence in himself and in in that right hand has won him so many fights, so many fights. And the lack of confidence by his opponents, even in the slightest, due to what could potentially happen, come back at them with Deontay Wilder having the greatest right hand that boxing has ever seen. That inkling of doubt, is all Wilder needed to take advantage of every opponent's weakness. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Washington knocked him out. Berman Staverne faced him once. They went to, uh, I believe, uh, was it split or unanimous decision? And the second time knocked him out clean. In that Bible clip Clipper carrying the ref on his back, literally. Knocked him out. Tyson Fury, he knocked down, but he was able to get up. And it shook him. The reason being is because he had never seen somebody have the legitimate, outright, insane confidence to say, even if you catch me, it's not going to put me under. Luis Ortiz, outside of Fury, is the second closest opponent to have beaten Deontay Wilde. Absolutely. Absolutely is, because he had him hurt in this first fight, and in the second fight, outboxed him all seven or all nine rounds before he got caught. And in both instances, it was the 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 a brief moment of hesitation caused both caused them to get knocked out, which could be caused him to get knocked out. A brief, I mean, so brief, a brief moment of hesitation and fear and what's coming back at them and a lack of confidence in, okay, I just need to make sure I do this and I'm good. Ended the night for Luis Ortiz. Second fight, when he outboxed him, kept coming forward with the jab, doing similar things that Fury did when he fought him, keeping, keeping Wilder on the back foot, making sure that he wasn't able to get any forward momentum. Making being again defensively sound, but never allowing Wilder to have the ability to pinpoint a good time to land that right hand, keeping the jab in front of him, being aggressive, did all that right. But the second he got turned to the ropes, in the I believe it was I believe it was the ninth round, seventh and ninth round. The second he got turned to the ropes after an exchange. And was hesitant because of what could have come back at him. With the right hand, boom. Wilder picked up on it, caught him just like that. One punch, done. After being dominated the whole fight. After Ortiz dominated that entire fight, one shot due to a hesitation in the mind of Ortiz ended the night form. Fury's been the only guy that hasn't let... Hesitation stopped him from doing what needs to be done. He was fully confident when he boxed Wilder, and he was fully confident when he brawled Wilder, 100%. In both instances, he was absolute confident in what his abilities were, and there was no hesitation to him. None. Everything he did was deliberate, and he did not let his inhibitions or let his hesitancy cloud the actions needed to take place, which is why against Wilder, you got to fight essentially the perfect fight in order to be able to, to last and let alone beat him. And Fury was able to do it by, again, not letting a lack of confidence or a hesitancy due to the power mitigate what he needed to do. He willingly took the fight to Fury or to, to Wild, excuse me, in the second and third fight. Didn't let the power phase him at all. Committed to being the aggressor. Committed to bullying. And then in the first fight, he committed to boxing. Him. He committed to say, okay, I can slip. I don't got to hesitate. I know I can get out the way. So let me just get out of the way. There's no fear of what's coming back to me. It's just a matter of doing what needs to be done. That is the mindset. The tactic in boxing, Wilder wasn't the best. Brawling Wilder is the best. Hence, Fury took advantage of that. But in both styles of fighting that he fought Wilder, he was absolute confident, absolutely confident. There was nothing. It was an, it's in the, it's it is an insane level of confidence that Fury has in him, otherworldly. Absolute, there is, is, is maddening, legitimately maddening, almost unfathomable. The commitment to say, I there's nothing that anybody can do that can push me off my track of what I want to do. There is no fear, there is no hesitation, there is none of that. That type of mentality you saw fully in all the times that Fury fought wild. As opposed to every other opponent, there has always been a point in the fight where you can look and see there was a hint of hesitancy, if not all outright loss of confidence and outright fear. Because Wilder is a scary man and a scary boxer and an incredibly incredibly insane and scary power puncher. Joshua doesn't have that same level of confidence that Fury has in him. He just doesn't. He he hasn't fortified that mental aspect of his game yet. And as we saw in the Helanius fight, with everything that he did that was good, it was still he was getting hesitant. When he did get caught, when something big was thrown back at him, even when he did break through, if he got caught with a good shot like he did against Hellanius, You saw it rush back in. And then slowly throughout the fight, it dissipated more and more. But you saw the full range of tenderness come back in. You saw it all. It's still there. It hasn't gone away. It hasn't rectified itself. It's still a problem that Joshua has to fight against. And against Wilder, he... If he doesn't get that same insane level of confidence to him, there is no way in the world that I can see Joshua beating Wilder. There's none. There isn't one. As much as I know that Joshua has the ability to knock out Deontay Wilder, as much as I know that that's the case, I know it's absolutely possible. I just also know, based on what we see with Joshua right now, even with all the tools that I praised him for and the improvements that he had legitimately done in his fighting style, it's still not enough because the mental aspect of this game, of boxing, it's so important. It can make or break fighters, literally. And Joshua was broken. And ever since then, he has been slowly but surely looking to pick up the pieces and retool his mental state. And we've seen it gradually get more and more and more put together, but it's still missing pieces. And it's still vulnerable to the point that if something good gets landed clean on Joshua, it'll shatter all over again. That's what we're seeing from Anthony Joshua. Yes, his punches now have conviction. Yes, we see the danger in his punches back again. Yes, he's finally gotten a knockout for the first time in however many fights for Joshua, which is phenomenal. We see semblances of the old Joshua. We see a Joshua that has returned to form in some capacities. And in some capacities, it's even better. But though, though some may be better, the worst is still the worst. And the worst has not been corrected. And has not been attended to in the manner that it needs to be. It's a slow process when it comes to the mental game of boxing. For some boxers. For some people, it's the flip of a switch. And next thing you know, they're, they're, they're a different animal. Some people it only takes one loss and they'll say, I never want to experience this experience this again. Like Floyd Mayweather next thing, you know, all of a sudden they, they, again, you see the legend of Floyd money, pretty boy turned into Floyd, turned into TBE turned into one of the greatest of all time, which he is. But the ability to be able to have that mentality, that championship mentality, it's something that's hard to get, but it's easy to lose. And with Joshua, he had it, and then he lost it. Now he's trying to make it again and evolve it. But before you can evolve, you got to fully become. And he hasn't fully become confident yet. We just see that there is confidence that is back. But it's not at the point where, okay, now that he's got the full confidence back, now he can evolve That type of confidence into a potentially, oh, he needs to be a cocky fighter to get back into full form. He needs to be arrogant in order to get back into I'm a world beater. Some people go and delve into different aspects of emotions to get that confidence that they need. Maybe that's what Joshua needs to do, but the point is he hasn't even gotten the full confidence necessary in order to say, okay, what can get me there and keep me there? He hasn't gotten it yet. He's hungry. He's fervent. He's fiery. He's been saying he doesn't care about anybody. He's been trying to get the bad boy, the the, the no longer pretty face of boxing that he was when he was world champion. Trying to get the mean street back in. That's what he's been trying to do. Wearing black gloves, wearing black shorts, like he did in the the Usyk rematch, trying to get the Tyson vibes of old, saying I don't care to anybody. Talking reckless, all this stuff. Saying I do your opinion, don't matter. I do what I want, I run this place. I've been carrying boxing on my back. That's why my back's hurting. That's what, like he said in in his post-fight interview. All of that, we're seeing him. He's looking for it, but he hasn't found it yet. He hasn't found the thing that he can reach into to get fully the confidence necessary to bring out the best in himself. He's learned the tools. He's applying the tools. He's getting better as a boxer but he hasn't fully gotten better as a thinker. He hasn't gotten there in the mental mind. The mental game, he is still trying to get up from Andy Ruiz. Physically, in boxing skill, he's adapted. Mentally, he is still getting up while the ref is counting to 10. And we saw him. Hey, we saw. It look. It's looking like he's he's getting there. As the ref's get into seven or eight, it looks like okay. We're starting. He's he's on his knee. Now he's 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 now he's on one knee. Now he's on two feet. All he's got to do is get his gloves up and say I'm ready to fight. Mentally, that's where he's at. Ever since Andy Ruiz, he's been struggling to get back up from being knocked down mentally. And it's been a slow process seeing him get up. But now, even though we're seeing progress, the ref's count is at eight. And at the count of 10, you got to face Deontay Wilder. That's what the the end of the road is. That's what the end of the count is. At the count of 10, you got to face Deontay Wilder. And if you are not up by the count of 10, in your mental mind, in your confidence up here and in here in your heart as well as in your head you are going to lose the fight and you're going to get counted out and what does counted out mean mentally it means getting knocked out by wilder physically that's what it means So this joshua is better but it's nowhere close to where it needs to be he is still far from where he needs to be to have the legitimate shot to say that he won't lose to Wilder. As of right now, it's still, Wilder's is looking like he's going to be, if that fight does take place for the number one contender spot for the Undisputed Heavyweight title come December, January. It's looking, like, right now, I'm fully confident in saying, Wild is going to be the, uh, the number one contender. Wild is going to knock out Anthony Joshua. Because I don't see any confidence. This is beyond boxing ability. I don't see any confidence in Joshua at the level necessary to give, me anything to, s- to give me anything to say, okay, because he's got the confidence, he can use all of his boxing ability, all of his talent. Right now, he can't use all of his talent because it's still locked behind the paywall. For you gamers out there, it's still locked behind a paywall that whose transactions requires confidence as a payment. He hasn't unlocked those levels yet. He hasn't paid those levels yet. He's still stuck behind the paywall of confidence. He's gotten some of the perks. He's been able to access some of his abilities as a boxer. Now to the fullest extent because the confidence is gaining and it's gotten better, absolutely. So he's unlocked those facets of his game again. But there's still stuff that he needs that is still locked behind that confidence. And if he doesn't unlock everything and he doesn't gain the full confidence necessary, he will lose to Wilder, and he will get knocked out. Absolutely. You can even argue, even if he had the confidence, he would still get knocked out by Wilder. No problems there. I would think that too, but I would at least have more confidence to say, hey, there's a legitimate chance that Joshua can pull this out. There is no legitimate chance in my eyes that I can see Joshua actively being able to pull out this fight. None whatsoever. Not one. Not one. It's all because the mental game is still not there. Derrick James is doing good at getting him better. He has talked about he wants to get more fights, fight two or three more times this year, like he said in the post-press con- in the post-fight conference. But still, he is not where he needs to be. And it's too close to midnight to have still questions like this ra- raging in the minds of boxing fans, raging in my mind. When we know the ultimate test is coming up for you. In a couple months. And you still don't seem ready. It's a problem. It's a real problem Joshua. I'm rooting for you to get better. I want you to get better. I want you to be successful. I want you to have the ability to access everything in your arsenal. With the world beating confidence that you had. When you were the unified heavyweight champion. I want that. The confidence when you beat Klitschko. The confidence when you got up. From from, from from one of the most dominant champions of the modern era. The confidence getting up from a fight that had, at that point in time, turned into an absolute war in one fight of the year. A confidence where you ducked deep and still performed as if you had never gotten hit at all. Where you got up and fought even harder rather than being tentative. a confidence that allowed you to to accomplish getting on top of the world because you felt you were already there. That is the type of confidence that we want Joshua to get back. But if he doesn't get it back, there's nothing else for me to say except for without that in your arsenal, without confidence as the main thing that is going to lead everything else that you want to do. There's no way I can say you can beat somebody like Wilder who isn't a better boxer, who doesn't have better footwork, who isn't bigger than you, who isn't stronger than you, at least overall physically, isn't stronger than you. But his outright confidence in what he knows he can do is so far and away above everybody else in the division that there's a reason why he's gotten 40, was it, 42 knockouts, no, 43 knockouts, in his career, all but two wins in his career weren't by knockout. Why he defended the the the, the uh, what was it? Why he defended it was either the WBC or WBO title ten times, breaking Muhammad Ali's record. Why, despite all of us saying he yeah, had no boxing ability, had terrible footwork, had terrible stamina, doesn't know how to throw jabs very well, doesn't everything he just bolo punches and windmills. Why still, in spite of all of the hate that he's gotten for his actual boxing ability, which I have said he doesn't have any boxing ability, and he still doesn't. Still, he's been one of the most dominant heavyweights in the world today, because his confidence in what he knows he can do, in his mind and in his heart, is so far and away above everybody else's that it doesn't matter. He will find a way because he knows there is a way. And he knows he's got the tools to do it. He's not afraid, despite anything that happens to him, to not go to what he can do. Joshua, with whatever happens to him, is still hesitant to go to what we all know he can do best in terms of boxing arts. Now he's starting to to shave off the fear But it's still present. And because it's still present, it's still a problem. And because it's still a problem, we have to call it like I see it. It's a problem that's going to be detrimental for him when he goes to face Wilder. Once the ref counts to 10 mentally in the eyes of Anthony Joshua, when that count of 10 comes, Wilder's going to be standing in front of him. By the time that count of 10 comes, will Joshua have gained all of the confidence necessary to be able to legitimately put up a fight to Deontay Wilder? Because if that's not there, there's nothing else I can say that can sway me or sway you, the viewing public or listening public, that Joshua has a shot at beating Wilder. There isn't. All on Joshua to get it right up here in his mind. Get it right up here in his confidence. Get it right up here in his heart. Maybe he's going to take another another fight. Absolutely. Better be sooner rather than later, because it's already almost September. If you're going to have another fight, you better be like with, with Robert and Lanias, like they used to do back in the day. You fighting three or four times a month, rather than two or three times a year. Time is winding up if we want to see Joshua really improve confidence-wise like we need to see him to and get more adjusted to Derrick James' training. Time will tell, absolutely, but we're going to have to wait and see on that front. But now, for the next and final round of this show, yes, we have to talk about the absolute phenomenal war that was Emmanuel Neverente versus Oscar Valdez for the, WBO super, for the WBO Super Featherweight title. That's right, and this fight was I mean, you want to talk about outright war. This this was something special to watch. They were posing this as one of the great Mexican wars, potentially one of the great Mexican rivalries, trilogies, potentially, that happens in the sport of boxing. And this did live up to set up. It was an absolute knockdown, dragout brawl throughout. It was a clash of styles, the wild, eccentric, unpredictable power-punching, lunging style of Emmanuel Navarotti versus the counter-punching, tactical slip style of Oscar Valdez that he had, as fights gone on, accumulated to his skill set. How would it be for somebody as wild and with as many holes in this game as Emmanuel Navarotti? how would he fare against somebody who is a precise, quick, fast Counterpunch it, albeit smaller than him, Oscar Valdez, and it turned out it fared very well for him because Oscar Valdez was got beat up legitimately in this fight. It was a great war throughout, no doubt about it. But Oscar Valdez absolutely got hey, he got cold clock hit every which way by Emmanuel Neverete despite his slick counterpunching. Uh, excuse me, aggressive. Counter-punching style. And the reason was, it was because Emmanuel a volume, his, uh, excuse me, Navarati. I keep getting his name wrong, Navarati, Emmanuel Navarati, his volume was so far and away, just non-stop. It was too much. It was too much. Navarrete was throwing so many punches. That was around, I believe, late in the fight, when he had thrown maybe 26 and there was only a minute left. He ended the round with either 99 or 102 punches. It's insane. The man just doesn't have a motor. There is no motor. He just moves. It's just, it's it's, it's, it's insane. He just runs on endless electricity. It is insane the amount of volume that he's able to throw and the consistency that he's able to constantly throw at any angle from any which way. And on top of that, coupled with the volume, coupled with the unpredictability, the lead leaping uppercut, the the just Slenderman-style hook from across the ring, he actively added some boxing ability to his game. He had head movement. He was setting traps. He was better defensively. Albeit he was still leaning back at his main priority of defense, but still, it was working. It was no longer just only offensive-centric to the point that he could get countered consistently, like when he faced off against Liam Wilson, who almost knocked him out before Liam Wilson never got knocked out in that fight. Leah Wilson exposed a lot of holes in Navarotti's overly offensive game. But Navarotti has seemingly been able to curtail that and seemingly been able to actively apply better boxing and better defensive awareness and defensive responsibility to his game on top of consistently being able to be the unpredictable offensive self that he is. Mind you, Navarotti got injured in this fight. He injured, I believe he injured his right hand, and then won the rest of the fight with his left hand. It's insane. It's insane. It's absolutely great. Navarotti is a legitimate, exciting champion who throughout the rest of the super featherweight division, it's hard for me to see who he can't beat if he does choose to go the undisputed route and take all the belts. Hector Garcia is probably going to be the biggest test for him. But even still, I don't know if if he's gonna be able to take the onslaught of Emmanuel Neverete, even though he is a great boxer in and of itself. He does aim to use distance. He does aim. And he's got he he is legitimately big. Or excuse me, at least he's legitimately strong as well. Even with all those facets to his game in terms of Hector Garcia, I can't see him beating. And man, this Emmanuel Navar- Navarro, Navarati, especially one that even after this fight is going to be even better come the next fight if he does in fact fight him. And if he does in fact go for the undisputed route at Super Featherweight, it could be that he goes, gets all the belts and then moves up to lightweight. Now if he does move up to lightweight, okay, we might have a problem. Now he's going up against people like Lomachenko, Shakur Stevenson, Isaac Cruz. Frank Martin, who's coming up, yeah, and, of course, Devin Haney and Javante Davis. Don't No, let's, let's, let's pump the brakes on that. Because maybe those big guns up there may be too big of a tag. Because now you're looking at somebody. The biggest thing with Navarrete is the fact he's bigger than a lot, of, a lot of the division. He's longer than a lot of the division. He's stronger than a lot of the, of the division. And m- most fighters don't have the combination necessary to be able to actively take advantage of all the skills or all the holes in Navarrete's game, even though Navarotti's gotten better. Up at lightweight, though, that's not a problem. They'll, they will eat you up and spit you out if you're Emmanuel Navarotti. Can he improve and potentially compete? If he does, in fact, go through the undisputed route and then move up to lightweight, potentially. Absolutely. they could happen, but as of right now, no. I don't think he needs to move up at all. He needs to stay you need to stay at super featherweight for the time being. Get the belts, reign, rule, hone your skills, and then move up. Because if you get up to lightweight, and now you're gonna, you're gonna, you're because he's gonna go look after the very best in the division. Now you get in a situation where okay, these people are now too skilled, too fast, legitimately have the the length to reach you, and. Had the IQ to out both outthink you and the power to actually knock you out, which is something that many people at Super Featherweight don't have. The biggest thing with Navarati is the fact that most of the punches in the division don't hurt him. The biggest guy that could hurt him was Liam Williams. Liam Wilson. And guess what? His reach was 70 inches. And it was like His whole frame was comparable to Navarotti, And he was big as well for the division. And he has some good countering ability. Only part of me, he didn't commit. He didn't commit to when he got Navarotti hurt to keep on the offensive attack and let himself essentially get fight on the back foot and get pushed into Navarotti's best game plan, which is fighting you when you're backing up. Because now I can land from any which way. Every angle that you think shouldn't be viable is all viable when you move backwards. In the eyes of nobody. So because of that, that's why he got knocked out. That's why he got put out. That's why he lost. Uh, uh, that's why That's why he lost. Legitimately. But at lightweight, that's not going to be a problem. Oh, he'll, he'll get at the top ten of that division. Oh, he'll, get, he'll, he'll be done. It'll be done. He'll be, he'll be absolutely done. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I don't see him being successful at lightweight. But at Fellowweight, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's where he needs to stay, and I can't wait to see him continue to hone his skill set and continue to get better and better and better and better and better. But on the side of Oscar Valdez, in this incredible fight, Oscar Valdez lost because of the fact that he was one-dimensional. In this fight particularly. Mind you, Oscar Valdez did did do good things in this fight. He countered Emmanuel Navarati's offensive output with precision and accuracy, continually looked to set traps for Emmanuel in order to counter him with a big left hook, was using footwork, was being patient, was being accurate, and and didn't let himself get overwhelmed, at least mentally, by the sheer amount of volume that Manuel Navarrodi was throwing. Legitimately always stay composed, stay with himself, knew the game plan that he wanted to do, and kept on trying to implement it. And it was working as the night went on. The problem was, even with that, the one thing that Oscar Valdez messed up on, as I said, with him being a one-dimensional fighter, was the fact that he was only doing catch-and-throw, essentially, game plans, which was, okay, block, 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 move, 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 and then one shot. Instead of, while well, not trying to match the volume, he should have actively thrown some more to make Emmanuel Navarati be dissuaded at trying to just say, okay, I'm free to throw however many more punches I need to without we're having to worry about, you know, two or three or four punches coming back. Only have to worry about one big counter coming in. So I can rack up the points, rack up the damage and just make sure to be mindful of the one big shot. And then, boom, I'm back into the fight. More volume on the part of Valdez could have been very advantageous to him. As well as the fact that one of the biggest things that is a contributing factor as to why Oscar Valdez lost his fight was the fact that he did not use the straight punches as needed. He was constantly throwing hook after hook after hook after hook, both to the body and to the head. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What I am saying it is, a, that it is is that it's a bad thing when it's not set up with something to help open up said hooks. Counter-hooks, okay, I got the game plan there, but outside of that, you could have used your jab to set up a hook, you could have used your jab to set up a straight and take advantage of Manuel Navarrete's tendency to lean back as a form of defense instead of trying to throw hooks that were just grazing past his face, all because of what was Navarrete doing? Leaning back and not leaning to the side or anything else like that, so your hooks weren't able to reach him. Your six-inch high reach deficit is mitigated when you're able to use your aggressiveness to use the jab. Instead, you throw one-two combinations to work your way onto the inside so that when you do throw a hook, you are in range. and You're you in range enough to throw two or three hooks on the inside because on the inside, you have an advantage. Why do you think that Liam Wilson was able to knock down Emmanuel Navarro It's because of the fact that on the inside, when he was in range, is when he threw the hook, not trying to just catch him off of at any point in time when he was trying to throw, which Oscar Valdez did for the majority of the fight. He was hard-headed. He was stubborn. He didn't want to get out of the game plan. He instead continued to say, and his corner kept on saying that if It bodes true if you keep making him throw more and more and more punches, if you let him tire himself out as well as go into the body, the counter will come you will knock him down and you will get him hurt because his stamina will be gone. When Emmanuel Navarrete's stamina doesn't wane as a volume puncher, his whole game is built off of stamina. So you can't play that game with him. You just can't do it. But they tried to do it and it didn't work at all throwing straights when Emmanuel Navarrodi was going backwards, using your jab to get on the inside rather than trying to only rely on working off the back foot, working on making him miss more and more and more, which, to his credit, Oscar Valdez actively did more power to him. Absolutely, he did. He showed off that slick footwork, showed showed off that superior footwork, showed off that superior slickness, showed off the better pure boxing ability. absolutely. But it, despite all of that, it wasn't able to amount to much because you were using the wrong offensive tools to take advantage of the openings that you created for yourself. That is the problem with Oscar Valdez in this game plan. Now we got to look at Oscar Valdez. He's older. He's, he's again, getting longer in the tooth. he He's been in multiple, if I remember correctly, he's been in multiple wars, this one being one of the worst of them. And I love the fact that he fights, and I love the way that he fights. Absolutely. But now it's time to start looking at Oscar Valdez, not saying he needs to retire, no, not saying he needs to call it quits, no, I'm not saying that. But now it's a pivotal point in Oscar Valdez's career, with him crying in the locker room, with him having this loss seen so heavily on on his heart and on his mind and on his soul, all because this was against this was amongst Mexican legends who came to see, like Eric Morales, like Marco Antonio Barrera, like Julio Cesar Chavez, with this being meaning so much to him. And with the time he has left, if he does, in, de- in fact, want to have his get back and get his get back, he's got to have a mindset to say, I need to evolve myself out of my show, And maybe it means he needs to change trainers because if we're being perfectly honest, between Canelo Alvarez, Oscar Valdez, and other people in Eddie Renoso's camp, as great as Eddie Renoso is, whatever the style of boxing is that he's been training his fighters in, it has not bode well for their development as boxers with their talent. Canelo Alvarez has diminished and turned to only a catch-and-shoot puncher Oscar Valdez, instead of being the more versatile, well-rounded, aggressive counterpuncher that used more weapons in his arsenal, has now, ever since that Miguel Burchell fight, only seen seemingly only used that left hook as and hooks in general as his main style of offense. Even though he's got the slickness and all the other stuff, I love it, despite that, offensively he's diminished. Canelo, both defensively and offensively, He's diminished in terms of the tools that he actively uses. Not saying that he can't do the things that we know he can do. Yes, he can. But what is he being trained to do has differed from what got him to the top of the mountain versus where he's at right now. Still on top of the mountain, but the regiment and the skill set has indeed changed. And in my estimation, it hasn't changed for the better. If I'm just being honest with my own eyes and what I see inside of the ring. So maybe it needs to be that we see Oscar Brown change changed trainers, potentially so that he can get back to the more diverse offensive aggressor that we know him as and fully take advantage of being the, the, again, Mexican-style warrior that we love to watch him as when it comes to fighting. But whatever the case may be, there's got to be some sort of change. Because with age comes natural deterioration. And I want to see Oscar Rodgers continue to vie for championships. I'd love to see him fight because he's a phenomenal, exciting fighter. Even still, time waits for no man. And if we don't change when the change is applicable, and if we don't change when the windows open, by the time you do decide you need to change, it may be too late. For so you to fully be able to take advantage of everything that you have in your arsenal while you still have the means to use said arsenal coupled with, again, boxing's time limit is different from every other sport. I don't want to see Oscar Valdez go out and say, oh, no, he went out, but not as the Valdez that I know him as in terms of how he fights. Not in terms of mentality, not in terms of, okay, he still brings the war. No, he'll still do that. But stylistically, there's a change that needs to be be made because it is not working. It is not working. And uh, the Oscar Valdez of old probably would have had a better time stylistically taking advantage of the holes in Navarati's game than the Oscar Valdis that we saw that night. And this isn't to pull anything away from Navarrete's win. No, Navarotti did what he needed to do. And it was a phenomenal fight, absolutely. But we know that Oscar Valdis has to change how he's going to fight, not just if he wants to beat Emmanuel Navarrete, but also just for, the, for his own career. For the betterment of what he can do as a boxer, he needs to, to retool, and that potentially means he needs to go to a new trainer. Potentially. Not saying it's set in stone. Not saying that anyone else was a bad coach. I'm Not saying any of that at all. What I am saying is, there comes a point in boxers' careers when it's time to get a new voice in your ear. Not because the old voice isn't good. Because it could be good. But for what you need specifically, it may not be right for that time. And it may be time for Oscar Valdez to switch camps, switch trainers, and get a new person inside of his ear telling him what he needs to do and adapting his style differently to better be able to to compete at the zenith of the division and to get his get back against Emmanuel Navarati. In my estimation. But will it happen? We will just have to see. Either way, it's a phenomenal fight. It does have the means to be a trilogy. Because I would love to see that fight again. I think if it stays what it is right now, I can see it happening just the same. But even still, I would love to see it because it was a phenomenal fight. I would love for this to be an actual trilogy. I would love for this to be a legitimate Mexican war. Something that we talk about for one of the better ones of our generation. Would love for that to happen. Love for it. Will it happen? I'm not sure but what I do know is if I want it to happen and I want the absolute best fight out of it to happen maybe time for Oscar Valdez to get on a ship to another trainer in order to make that fight truly be the competitive trilogy that we want it to be because while this was an entertaining fight it wasn't a competitive fight Valdez got and beat soundly by Navarrete. Legitimately. Even though he put up an incredibly valiant effort that he should be proud of. Stylistically, at this point in time, it's not great. Catching shoot versus volume in the style that never retakes fights is not working with how Oscar Valdez wants to fight. But if he trains his trainers, uses straights more, while still having his slickness and the footwork that we see him have in this fight. Now we could be talking about a a whole different affair. Legitimately. Now we could be talking about something different, which is what I would love to see. Absolutely, I would love to see. it. Love to see. it. It's all a matter of what he needs to do, what he wants to do. We saw how much that fight meant to him. If he truly wants to get his get back, he's got to make a change, at least in my estimation. So with that being said, it is that this has been another phenomenal episode of the World Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch, right here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever podcasting platform that you're listening to oh yes it's been great i'm so happy for you tuning in thank you for listening thank you for watching leave a like on the video comment your thoughts and opinions subscribe to the channel and share the video with everybody that you know so we can build this empire together i've been jean luke works y'all have been beautiful don't worry we still have some nba stuff to talk about because it has been a whole whirlwind of stuff with james Harden. we definitely going to talk about that on this show in the next episode of trust and believe but this has been the world report y'all have been great See y'all next time. Peace and love. We are out of here.